I am happy today to take the baton as we have passed it across our platform and now it has come to me so that I can share it with you. Wherever you're making your connection with us today, we welcome you, Gables Campus, Kendall Campus, across the nation, around the world, as we continue our series, La Familia, and today receive the baton that we might run our race well. Now, more about this in just a moment. But I was... um, Googling, the, this is what I did. I sat down and simply Googled these words. Emotions parents feel when grown children leave home. And you know what came up? Four quick articles. Number one, how to say goodbye when your child leaves home. Number two, how grown children manipulate parents. And number three, the cost of blaming your parents. Then the final one that I, sto- I stopped when I saw this, empty nest, who's needier? Parent or child. I'm not sure I saw that coming. But as to the summary, to answer the question, what emotions do parents feel when their grown children leave home? The summary is this, three emotions, sad, protective, and nervous simultaneously, all at the same time. I remember when our firstborn left home, and I'm telling you, her room was so quiet, it was loud to me, palpable. You know, I was happy for her to have her opportunity to launch and spread her wings, but I didn't see the sorrow that I would be feeling on the front end of that. Same thing happened when our youngest left, happened again. But the question that I felt that I think most parents hope will be answered with a big yes when their child leaves home is this question. Are they ready to face the challenges waiting for them. Will my child be ready to face the challenges that are coming? The social pressures, the academic rigors, the financial demands, the difficult decision making. And parents, you know what? We parents typically, we live our life from years of experience as adults and we're hoping that uh, when hard times come, Our kids will be ready to face them as well. And you know what? I need to say this on the front end. There aren't any guarantees here, are there? Most of us parents, we do our best and then trust our children to do their best. And you know what? As a church, we want to come alongside the family as a family for the family so that every child can have their opportunity to launch well. When when hard times come, are you ready to overcome? Now, in our family ministry, we, have, uh, we follow what a life development track toward um, a child's growth from birth all the way up through graduation. That, that Don't be distracted by the busyness of the chart, but just see what's on the far end is the graduation. You know what that is? That's when the baton is officially being passed. In order for a relay to be won, somebody has got to let go, and somebody else has got to take hold and run well. So young people, young adults, this is a message for you. That's when you take the baton and you run your leg of the race to overcome. To become an overcomer is the focus of our message today. Not be overcome by the challenges, but to rise on them and overcome. I think most parents want their children to know how to do that, how to become an overcomer. And I can tell you, God does. God the Father surely does. He wants every one of his children to be an overcomer. And today's message 
is toward that end, but it's not for parents. Today's message is for every child that is interested in taking the baton, running well, and rising to be an overcomer. Whether you are at the initial launch phase of your journey or you're already in another part of your orbit out there, Father God wants his image bearers to find full redemption in Christ and then by the power of his Holy Spirit rise to become overcomers in life. In fact, spiritual adulthood in Christ is about that. It's about growing to become an overcomer. Jesus said this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. Challenges are waiting. Hardships are coming. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Now what's interesting is this was right before he went to the cross. It was not going to look like he was an overcomer. It would appear that he had failed in his mission. So sometimes our overcoming doesn't always look like success on the front end. But God is working in it to help us rise. The Apostle John said this, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's the language of an overcomer. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. Overcoming is part of your spiritual birthright in Jesus Christ. The Apostle James wrote this, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's what an overcomer learns. And then Paul in Romans says we're more than conquerors. That means we're overcomers through him who loved us. That nothing can separate us. Even when death comes, it can't separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. And so we have ultimately become overcomers in face of the greatest challenges. Now today, we look at a relationship in Paul's life with someone that he calls his own dear son. Someone that he is uh, he's literally passing the baton to in his exit. Um, Timothy, in his second letter to Timothy, Paul calls Timothy, my dear son. And Timothy has already launched from home. We're not told if he was yet married. We know that he was facing issues as a young leader. Some of the issues re, uh, revolved around his age. Some of the issues related to other people in his life. Some had to do with his work and his vocation. He, you know, he's like millennials of today. Lots of people are, are studying millennials the millennial generation. Employers want to know. They have such a different frame of reference. Employers want to know, how do we work with millennials? How will the economy fare? How will the environment fare? Lots of people asking questions about millennials. And when it comes to family, what's going to happen to the family in light of the millennial generation? You probably know this, but many millennials are living at home with their parents now. 9% more now than in 2005, and uh, more this year than in any of the last 10 years. So the millennial generation also affects la familia, right? Well, Timothy is a kind of first millennium millennial <laughs> from the first century, and some of the issues that were looming large in his culture were bearing down on him and his life as well. For instance, one, Emperor Nero, had already begun a major persecution in A.D. 64. 
And uh, part of his plan, against Christians, because part of his plan was to blame the great fire of Rome on, uh, away from himself onto the Christians. And that persecution was going to involve being ostracized socially, being tortured publicly, being, even being murdered. In fact, Paul is awaiting execution in a Roman prison cell while he's writing this letter. These are the last words we have from Apostle Paul. And he writes them to my own dear son, he says. Now, not a biological relationship. You know this. He's a spiritual father. In his life. These are the words of a spiritual father challenging his dear son, who is a kind of first century millennial, to rise and face the hard times at hand as an overcomer. And so I'm bringing his words to you today in that same spirit toward that same end. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Timothy, to Timothy, my Dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. So right off the top, we see it's an emotional relationship. You've got tears, you've got joy. It's like a father and a son, he's writing. And then he says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you. For this reason, I'm reminding you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. It was a personal affection being shown here personal attention being shown here. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of a, of a sound mind, of self-discipline, he says. So here's the thing. Paul's about to die. Timothy is about to face some really hard times, and not only for himself, but as a spiritual leader in his church, in his spiritual family. And Paul, in his letter, is now handing off a baton and, uh, and leaving a legacy of overcoming to his dear son. So what we find in this letter is not a quick fix how-to, but it's really written from the trenches of blood, sweat, and tears to help you know, now what? You ever found yourself in a now what moment? Well, think of it as the passing of the baton. Okay, here it comes. Now what? And parents, that day is coming for you. You already know it. You've been thinking about it and praying about it, haven't you? Uh, when you're going to hand it off to them, and young person or young adult, today may be that, that day for you, that this is God's message for you right now, that you will take that baton as you run your race and run it well to become an overcomer. I want to summarize the text that we've read in four bold strides in Timothy's run coming from Paul. First, he says, essentially, he says, you know what? You've been loved. You've received love. Now what? Now, love yourself. 
Want to run well? This is the, the language of overcomer is the language of love. Love is everywhere in these verses. It's there verbally, it's there non-verbally. You know, love language is like that. Sometimes it's spoken, sometimes it's unspoken. And we see both of them here. First, he speaks it out. My dear son, that word dear is agape. It means dearly loved. My unconditionally accepted son. And uh, I already mentioned the emotional, the nonverbal we see here, tears and joy. He speaks of memories that have moved him. There's a shared nostalgia in the relationship. He says we share a sincere faith, which means it's real. They weren't phony when it came to walking with God. They have a history of being real with each other. So their faith was for real, and it was a living faith that he received. The, the baton had come to him through his abuela, his grandmother Lois, and then also through his mother Eunice. And Paul is saying, you know, I know that you've received that, and now you currently have it. You've got it in yourself. You have been loved by your grandmother and your mother. Those are two words in my vocabulary that both say love. How about yours? Grandmother, mother, words of love. And Paul is saying, Timothy, you know what? You have felt the warmth of love shining from the light at home. And I want you now to warm yourself by it. Take the baton and run with it. And so then he essentially lists some affirmations that, uh, that were intended to be validations for this young pastor for his life, for his future. And we all need them, don't we? Words of affirmation that validate our worth in life. And God means, God means for us to receive them at home. Doesn't always happen that way, does it? And so you know what God does? He provides spiritual mentors in his family. That's where Timothy was receiving it from Paul. Without a biological father, God has provided Paul as a spiritual mentor, a spiritual father. And here's what Tim's spiritual father tells him. You know what, Timothy? You've been loved well. Now, as you face the hardships of life, remember that and love yourself. Love yourself. He's not talking about narcissism. He's not talking about arrogance that's so self-destructive. He's talking about the appropriate kind of self-care that shows self-respect and declares self-worth. Now, if you feel uncomfortable with that, may I remind you that the central declaration of our faith is that you are loved. You are so loved by God. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You, as a believer in Christ, are a recipient of amazing unspeakable grace. What is grace? Here's my take. Grace means God accepts me as I am. God forgives me all my sin and God empowers me to become all I can be by his spirit. You are loved, Paul is saying. Now when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? You know his answer came in three parts. He said, well, you love God, you love others, love your neighbor, and love yourself. Loving yourself is essential in responding to God. It is a declaration of ultimate validation that is yours in being loved. Following Christ, being a Christian, is a declaration of saying, I'm loved. I'm receiving it. I'm believing it. I'm lovable. God says so, and Paul says, and so does your mother, your grandmother, and so do I. 
your biological family, your spiritual family does, and you know what? And your spiritual mentor does. If you, if you ever feel like nobody really knows you, nobody really understands you, nobody gets you, nobody's there for you, in this cruel world it just feels like nobody cares, you know what? It's going to feel like that. Paul is saying it's going to feel like that, Timothy. Time, hard times are coming. Life is going to feel like that for you. And you're going to say, now what? And the now what is now love yourself. Remember, you've been loved by God. You've been loved by others. So now, so what? So now love yourself. Second stride, you've been learning. You've been soaking it up. You've been taking it in. Now you need to learn yourself. Learn yourself. Part of growing into spiritual adulthood is, uh, and growing as a spiritual adult is um, coming to know yourself, self-discovery, self-awareness. Who are you? What are you like? What is your personality type? What are your tastes? What are your, your, your likes, your dislikes? Self-learning is part of spiritual growth, part of spiritual discipleship. What is your GPS? Sometimes we like to talk about it that way, your GPS in life, your gifts, your passions, and your skills. What are your spiritual gifts? What lights you up? You know, what energizes you to get up and go in the morning? What are your strengths? What are you good at? Reminds me of the story of the animal school. You heard of the animal school? The curriculum is basically flying, swimming, and running. And all of the animals are supposed to take all of the subjects in this school. So, duck was really good at swimming, fair at flying, but terrible at running. So... They made him drop out of swimming and, um, and stay after class to practice running. Rabbit, Rabbit was at the top of her class when it came to running, but less than adequate in others. You know, like swimming about gave her a nervous breakdown, and ultimately she dropped out of school entirely because of it. Turtle, Turtle was behind in pretty much everything. And when it seemed that it was his shell that was the leading cause of his failure, it was removed. Which seemed to help a little bit because it did pick up his running a bit. But sadly, he became the first casualty at the school when horse stepped on him by accident. Now, you know what the point of the story is? Everybody has different gifts and different strengths. We become our best selves, not when we're trying to master all of the skills, but when we develop our unique strengths. When you understand your personal giftedness and then lean in there. Overcomers are people who learn themselves. So how would you describe yourself? Not only your likes and your dislikes and your quirks, or your triggers, or your moods that your family could tell us all about. No, but what are your gifts? What gifts, what do you have to bring to a team? What do you have to bring to, to offer an employer? What are you bringing to your family, to your parents, to your children, to your brothers, to your sisters? Part of running a good race is knowing your gifts. 
And in fact, you know what? That's the, the focus in session three of our growth track. We encourage everybody to participate in the growth track. I'm telling you, session three would be worth the entire process to help you understand your spiritual gifts. If you haven't done it yet, please get in the growth track and you'll find some help on identifying your giftedness there. Learning your gifts, your passions, and your skills is part of what overcoming is about. Now, some think that Timothy was actually timid, that he was shy, reserved. That's why Paul is telling him in verse 7, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, of timidity, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of, of self-discipline. That's the courage to face life's challenges. And um, I want to tell you, my friend Paul May, he says this, this can serve you well. Do the thing you fear, and the death of fear is certain. When we step out in the spirit of love and power and discipline, do the thing you fear, and the death of fear is certain. Third stride, now what? Well, you've been led. Now lead yourself. Take the baton with the spirit of power and love and self-discipline, and you take the initiative. You lead yourself. Don't wait for somebody else to step up. You be the first one to initiate. When God asked, whom shall I send? And who will go for me in Isaiah chapter 6? You know what Isaiah said? Here am I. Send me. He was stepping up. The baton was coming, and he was saying, Lord, I'm here. I will do it. I will go. That's self-initiative. That's self-leadership. Now, Jesus, Jesus said that we're supposed to, you don't have to wait for somebody to ask you. You initiate it. Here's what Jesus said, even when we pray. Matthew 7, 7, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find Knock, and the door will be opened for you. So in other words, you take the initiative even when it comes to God. You don't ask and sit around. You ask and seek and knock. That's like it grows in intensity. You step up the intensity. First gear is asking. Second gear is seeking. High gear is knocking, pounding on doors. You don't just ask and then sit back and wait. No, you ask and step up. You engage, you take the initiative. And actually, the tense here of these verses that Jesus used, it, it would translate like this, ask and don't stop asking. Keep on. Seek and keep on seeking. Keep on. Knock and knock and knock again and don't stop knocking. I was taught that you should pray until you have an answer in your hand or in your heart. That is that God tells you, okay, stop praying. Now the thought comes to mind that that's what we've been doing on Sunset Drive. You want to know what the report is on Sunset Drive. We've been asking, we've been seeking, we've been knocking, and we don't intend to stop until God gives us his answer in our hand or in our heart. But here's the point. Lead yourself, leader. You believe that, or you, you think God is calling you to step up and, and lead? Then start by leading yourself. Now, my personal conviction is that time management, you hear about this concept, time management, I think that's a misnomer. There's no such thing as time management. There is only self-management within time. 
No human being is big enough to manage time, but time just keeps passing. What we can do is manage ourselves within the passing of time. And that's what Paul is saying. Overcomers know how to do this. Overcomers stir up the gift. They fan it into flame. You know, don't settle for coals when God is wanting you to have fire. Fuego, baby. Come on. This is like you've been led. You've been led. Now lead yourself. Step up. Take initiative. Fourth stride. Finally, you've been loosed. You've been loosed. And then the rest of the chapter shows how every believer has been loosed. You've been freed from the penalty and power of sin for a holy life. You've been freed from the burden of salvation by works, by the gift of God's grace. You have been freed from death into life and immortality through the gospel. So now what? Well, now that you have received these amazing gifts, lose yourself. You've been loosed. Now, lose yourself. Lose your shame. Don't be ashamed to share the gospel. Don't be ashamed of Paul in prison. Don't be ashamed when suffering comes. Don't be ashamed when it looks like you failed. Don't let shame have you. Listen, as Paul was writing, it would look like he was not so successful to anybody looking in. I mean, he's in prison. Strike one. He's facing execution. Strike two. All the investment that he has made in the men and women around him, he's got a handful of friends. He's written a few letters. What else does he have to show for his life? Is that strike three? But yet, here's what Paul says. Verse 12, I am not ashamed. I know whom I've believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Listen, when our dying day comes, God's not done. Jesus is bigger than death, bigger than the circumstances that want to swallow us up, that look like failure. And we say, I'm not ashamed. You know what he says instead? I'm all in. I'm all in. You know what? I've lost myself in Christ. And isn't that what Jesus taught us? Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. You want to be an overcomer in life truly? Then you got to lose to win. You got to lose yourself. Lose your self-pity. Lose your self-absorption. Lose your self-worship. This is the way. There is a way to be yourself without having it be all about you. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And the fullness of life that he had in Christ, Christ was living in me. Let Christ give you your truest identity. That's what our church is here to help happen. Our church is God's family for your family. Every home needs a home away from home. And we are here to assist in that process so every child gets the best launch possible. Now, we're also aware that there are times, we see them in this text, where circumstances are beyond our control, where it appears that our prayers have not been answered. It appears that, that the enemy is getting his way, and maybe you can face that. You've seen that in your life too. 
death has come unexpectedly. Disease has come unexpectedly. Depression, addiction, crime, war, suicide, things that are seemingly beyond our control within our families. What are we supposed to do? He says, hold on to your faith. Christ has got you, even in the face of what others may seem to call failure. We're here to help, even in those times. You know, recently at Pastor Dave's retirement, his daughter Amanda was looking around the room and she was remembering fondly how, she, how well she was loved in this church family. She remembered being dedicated as a baby. She remembered getting her first Bible here. She remembered being baptized. She, went, she said, you know, how long before any of those things had happened, this church community had prayed for and supported her parents, Dave and Jenna, as they became adoptive parents. And she was welcomed into their family and then so well celebrated when it happened. And then she went down, she went through the list. She said, you know, I remember every one of my Sunday school teachers. I remember fun at pageant, surviving hurricanes. She remembered choirs and camps. She remembered every one of her ministry leaders and her serving team, those that she served with together. Uh, the volunteers that gave of themselves and that she also served with as well. And here's what she said, ultimately. She said, you know, I just took it all for granted. I, uh, I just took it all for granted. I didn't realize it at the time. But now, as an adult, looking back, she says, I'm so thankful for the healthy church culture and relationships. That's family, the family of God that built me into who I am today. Well, you know, today she is serving as a children's director, in a kid's director at a church in Las Vegas, where she is now entrusted to create a culture and an environment where others can be encouraged and readied to be overcomers in their lives, helping parents help their children to rise and overcome. I want to say, way to go, Amanda. I want to say, way to go, Dave and Jenna. I want to say, way to go, church. This is what we're here for, way to overcome. Listen, overcoming is a process that involves taking hold and letting go, passing the baton. So today, I got to say this, you've been loved, now love yourself. You've been learning, now learn yourself. You've been lead, lead, led, you've been led, now lead yourself. And if you're thinking, you know, I really wasn't those things. I, nobody really handed me the baton that well. Then can I say this? We're doing it for you in this church, aren't we? Now, we don't always get it right. Sometimes we drop the baton. But this is your opportunity to step up. I want to say to you, you are loosed. In the name of Jesus Christ, now lose yourself by helping us love one another in his name. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for this family that you have gifted us with as your family, where we can experience your love together, where we can share your forgiving grace together, where we can share your empowering spirit together, where we can share your liberating truth together for our benefit and being built up as parents and adults, but also for the raising of our children that they might each one become the overcomer that you have envisioned. And we pray your blessing upon every home, upon every person as they face every challenge. And we receive it, Lord. 
And friend, if, if you are on the front end of your spiritual journey and you would like to, to make it personal today, would you let God love you personally? Then here's how you can welcome him through a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe you are God's love come for me. That on the cross you died for my sins and from the grave you rose that your spirit of overcoming might be available to me. So I receive your forgiveness today. Forgive my sins. I receive your gift of salvation today by grace through faith. And now, Lord, as I turn from my way to learn how to walk your way, I pray you would cause me to rise up as an overcomer and live my life with your victory. Now, our heads still bowed just for a moment. If you prayed that prayer with me and would allow me to offer a prayer of blessing for you, then I'm going to invite you simply to raise your hand wherever you are. Online, you can click that orange banner right there on the screen. You know, I'm raising my hand. Kendall Campus, our pastor, is attentive right now, praying with and for you. Gable's Campus, the same is happening. Thank you. Lord Jesus, for every person who by upraised hand is saying, my heart is open and I am trusting you, taking a step of faith. May your spirit of peace make the joy of salvation so real as each one begins their spiritual journey today. Thank you that we get to be a part of your family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.